Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 324 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Danny Slichter. Danny lives in Los Angeles, California, and she is a clinical psychologist with a private practice that specializes in hoarding disorder. So we just spent like 10 minutes talking about that before the episode started because I'm so fascinated in that topic. But welcome, Danny. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing the work that you do. You literally changed my life and I have so much gratitude for that. Thank you. Well, thank you. I absolutely love doing it. And you know, I loved being a school teacher. I loved it. But I love what I'm doing now because I mean, I guess the same thing that leads somebody to be a teacher leads them to want to like tell people things. So <laughs> I just I love to teach people things and see them apply it and see them be successful. That is that is my role in life. That's my mission. 
Well, you do it well. Thank you. Well, I like to start by asking, as you know, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So we are somewhere around my four-year fast anniversary. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was May of 2019, and I was on just finishing up failing some random diet. And I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw some ad come up for some kind of intermittent fasting and I'd never heard of it. So I clicked on it just to see, and I looked through it and it was one of those things where they wanted you to pay to give you your customized oh God, intermittent fasting schedule. Yeah. You know, so I, I didn't go all the way and do that. And then I was looking at the comments too. And one of the comments said, well, if you're fasting, you're eating less calories. So clearly you're going to lose weight. So I... <laughs> So I was like, well, I guess this isn't going to work. But it kind of stuck in my it head. It planted a seed. It totally did. And so I had a friend, a colleague who is into health stuff and, and dieting, weight loss, food, not, not necessarily like traditional diets, but more like, you know, your emotional relationship to food and stuff. So I asked her about it and she said, oh yeah, that's great stuff. You know, go check out Jen Stevens. Oh, yay, friend. And I was like, oh, all right. So I immediately Googled you, found Delay, Don't Deny, bought it, read the book in one day, and the next day started doing 16.8 and haven't looked back. I love that so much. You know, I want to take a minute to shout out to all those crazy people running those Facebook ads. I've never run a Facebook ad, but... <laughs> but I hear a lot of people, that's what they what gets them, the crazy Facebook ads like measure your finger length and see what intermittent fasting plan works for you. Click here. Right. And so, look, I don't even have to run Facebook ads. They run the crazy ads and it leads people <laughs> to there. All roads lead to intermittent fasting stories and delight on tonight, I hope. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just, it was so easy to read. Like I said, I read it in one sitting. It just made sense. And it seemed like, okay, this is something different. And, and that was huge for me. So I'm just so grateful. And like I said, you changed my life. Well, thank you. That's how I felt immediately the first time I heard about it sometime and whenever it was, like 2009 or whatever, the very first time I heard about it was. It just seemed, and that was when everybody still thought it was because you just ate fewer calories. But even so, the idea of an eating window or alternate daily fasting, depending on you know the plan I was looking at, it just felt like, oh, this is going to make it easier. Because, you know, we understand you, as a psychologist, you understand decision fatigue. Oh, yeah. And we only have so much willpower in a day. Like, I only have to have willpower until four o'clock or whatever, you know. And then uh, the only decision is not yet. Yep. And I think uh, for someone like me who has an emotional relationship with food and like a real like, like binge eating disorder and compulsive overeating and just you know, emotionally eating in general for years and years and years, it has changed my relationship with food because I know when you aren't allowed to eat emotionally throughout most of the day, you are forced to sit in your feelings yeah. and have other coping strategies. And that helped me so much. That is really huge. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that because you're right. So many people who have emotional eating issues, a lot of people do. And of course, it's, it's biological in nature because we are stressed and our brain's like looking for comfort and food is comforting. And some of that is because of the way we were raised with food is comfort. And so whatever reason we're searching, our brain is like, you're under stress, let's soothe it. So a lot of people find that 
they no longer have that coping mechanism because they're fasting and they have to find a new way to cope. And that is where it's really hard for a lot of people. Can you talk about that for a minute? Oh, sure. So I can kind of start with my my history. Please do. Me and food and weight and body image and all of that. So about age 10, 1983, I was put on my first diet and it was uh, Nutrisystem. Oh, wow. I know. My Well, my parents were the largest franchisees of Nutrisystem Weight Loss Centers in North America at the time. Okay. So it was the family business and they're like, we've got the family business of Nutrisystem. We're putting Danny on it because it's just right for 10-year-olds. Yep. Oh. We're very healthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they didn't know better. I know. And, I'm not, uh, not criticizing mom and dad because they were yeah. helping. They were helping. They were trying to help. Yep. And both of them have always been overweight, <laughs> ironically. So obviously Nutrisystem works. Right. Any diet. I mean, Nutrisystem no no different than any other diet, right? But it, it really modeled for me emotional eating. I had that modeled for me at home. My parents would bring home a, a gallon of ice cream and some chocolate syrup, or my mom would bake a whole pan of brownies. And by the end of the night, we'd all, just the three of us, had all polished it off. Yeah. And so that was modeled for me. So by age 10, I would say I wasn't obese or anything. I was just plump. Like I, I was never one that fit into the the slim cuts of pants, things like that. And I always was very jealous of my friends who can who were that way. So I started to associate food with being calm or allowing me to dissociate from the stressors of my life. Um, I have a history of anxiety and depression going all the way back to childhood. And I think that's kind of what turned it into a form of binge eating disorder. By the time I was an adolescent, I was a latchkey kid. I would come home to an empty house and I'd binge on whatever was available so that I can kind of calm myself down, like self-soothe. And then I would start lying about the food that I was eating, you know, my mom would say, Hey, what happened to the, you know, the loaf of bread that was just here? Like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Or I would sneak food into my bedroom so that no one would know how much I was eating. You know, I think that's really a common story. You know, the being home alone, no one is there. And then you're sneaking and hiding food. I remember not that I was ever really like a someone who binged. I don't I don't know that I would ever say that I was, but I do remember being at home alone and eating things, just rummaging around to see what there was and you know, not wanting people to know that I had eaten those things. Oh yeah. For me it was it was my secret shame. I yeah. didn't share it with anybody. It was such a and still is kind of a source of shame. And I think with because of intermittent fasting though, and because I've been able to change a lot of these behaviors, I can look at it now and, you know, say it loud, say it proud, and right. know that that was just part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have things that we do in private that we don't want other people to know about, whether it's eating mm-hmm. something or like many, many things, you know. And and yeah. it's because we just fear being judged. Totally agree. Letting go of that is not easy. All right. So you started you started your your journey with binge eating disorder at that time. And and you started putting on more weight, I would guess, at that time. Yeah. So I've always been embarrassed by the numbers. So a lot of my weights that I've I can are really kind of guesses because I would only check in every now and then about my weights and I had a weight that I wanted to be. And unless right. I was that weight, then I didn't want to know about it. I didn't want to see it. it. Yeah. yeah. 
the number was huge for me. So probably when I started high school, I was about 160 and I'm 5'8". And probably by the time I graduated, I had gone up to about 175, 180. And that's not huge for 5'8". I mean, it's, it's, it's really not, but you still felt it didn't feel like the body you felt comfortable in. Yeah. And I definitely had a lot of body dysmorphia because, you know, whenever you look back at pictures of yourself, you're like, oh, God, if I could only be that way again. Right. right. I was like, I felt so terrible, but I actually look good. Yeah. Yeah. And I was still at that point, I wasn't in plus sizes yet. So I could still go to like a, a regular quote unquote store and, you know, buy clothes off the rack. And in that time, it was, you know, the early, the late 80s, the early 90s, you know, there was like Lane Bryant, you yes. know, and the all the plus size stuff hadn't really come out. So it was just big it did sacks. Not look good. Yeah. It was it not was, flattering. Was, no, it wasn't. And probably also you're comparing yourself to your friends and probably your friends were like 5'8 and 120 or some crazy uh-huh. number low. Right. So that that's mm-hmm. the hard part. It's the comparing ourselves to other people and, and thinking we're not measuring up. Yep. So I went off to college in 1991, and I think that's when my depression really was exacerbated, being away from home for the first time and and um, having more time to isolate myself and more time to, to eat secretly as well. So the weight really started to pile on mm-hmm. by then, and that was the first time I had to buy plus-size clothing. I remember the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, my mother and I went on uh, Metafast. Oh, that's <laughs> you know that. like, is it Shakes? It, it's, yeah, I think it's the one that Oprah did when she oh, pulled yeah, yeah, out yeah, the yeah, big yeah. Wagon, the wagon full of fat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I lost a bunch of weight that summer, but God, it was so horrible. It was such a horrible, I mean, it's torture. Yeah. It's yeah. not normal. It's not healthy. I remember we we both really wanted to eat something and you were allowed, besides the shakes, you were allowed to have like unlimited amounts of just like steamed vegetables or something. <laughs> Horrible. So my mom and I went out to, I think it was Marie Callender's or something. We we're going to go out to eat. And we got like this giant plate of steamed vegetables and they tasted so good. Well, I we bet after eating anything gross in three shakes. months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, that, that is so, it's, it's, we're laughing, but it's sad, but because we've been there. Yeah. You know. I mean, it, it's funny, but it's also incredibly painful. It is. And and so such a sad state. And y'all were working so hard together and doing it together. And, you know, I can tell you have a great mom. She is. She's the best. So, but anyway, of course, you know, as soon as I got back to school, it yeah. all came on plus more. And I was, of course, having to buy plus size clothing, which was so depressing. Graduated college and... About 1996, 1997 was when Fen Fen was a yes, thing. It was, yeah. I did not take Fen Fen, the combination. I just only used the one Fen, but the combination of the Fentramine and the Fenfluramine or whatever the second one was, I can't remember, that was what made it super extra effective and also gave you heart damage. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, at the time when it first came out, I was studying in London and I went to try to go get some kind of access to that. And the UK apparently knew better. Yeah. And they were having none of it. So I went to a doctor there with their National Health Service, and they gave me a referral to a psychiatrist, thinking oh. I, I had an eating disorder. And so I was kind of miffed. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the psychiatrist wouldn't prescribe me anything like that. So I had to wait till I got home back to the States. 
And um, I was prescribed it and I lost a bunch of weight Mm -hmm. and felt good. But of course, at some point, you know, over the course of the few years, gained it back plus more. (laughs) And so probably I'm just guessing what my weight got up to at its highest uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I'm guessing it was somewhere between... 270 and 300. Okay. I mean, it was high. You were not weighing though. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah, I, I get it. I didn't want to know. There were there were years when I just put the scale away and I was trying to be an intuitive eater. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be tied to a number. I don't want to do any of that. And so I put the scale away and I just didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. I, that's how it got over the twos for me because I didn't want to know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Didn't want to know, but was still always trying some kind of diet, whether it was a formal diet, like a Weight Watchers or kind of my own improvised diet of like, all right, well, I'll just eat, you know, a a Slim Fast for breakfast and then I'll just eat a banana and, you know, only eat eggs at dinner or whatever. (laughs) Whatever craziness I came up with. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. And so by 2003, I was incredibly unhappy. And so I did get a gastric bypass. And uh, like I said, I'm not sure how much I weighed, probably upper 200s. And in about the course of a year, year and a half, I lost probably about 90 pounds. Wow. And I was in the 180s. That's about as low as I got. So it got you back to like right where you'd been. From, from, from high, high school, school, at the end okay. of high school. Yeah. And I stayed there for about five years. And 
they do know that if you get a gastric bypass within about five to 10 years, you usually gain the weight back. Yeah. And is that so, what started happening about five years in? Yeah. At about yeah. the five year mark, it just slowly started to creep back up. Yeah. And I was also experiencing things like, like just diets weren't even working anymore. Right. So the, I can't remember when it was. It was after I had my daughter in 2009. I uh, was on Weight Watchers. So it was probably, I was, she was probably two or three years old. And for like a good nine to 10 months, I was doing Weight Watchers to the letter. I was following all the rules. I was going to the gym every morning at like five in the morning and working out for like an hour and a half. And wow. over that course of 10 months, I lost like five pounds. And I guarantee you, oh. I had way more than that to lose. Okay, so you're doing Weight Watchers perfectly, mm-hmm. and you are working out an hour and a half in the morning perfectly. You could not eat less, move more, any harder than you were doing. No. And but of you course, five yeah. pounds. Yeah, but of course, because of diet brain and right. because of the culture that we yeah. have, I was blaming myself. I'm my fault. I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. And it was, it was again, so painful. And I felt like such a failure. It's like, I can get it together for so much in my life. Why can't I get this taken care of? You, like Bingo. That is how I felt exactly, 100%. And, and I was like, you know, I have, have a doctorate. I'm very successful. I'm a good teacher. I'm a good wife. I'm a good mom. Why am I obese? You know, what is, what is yeah. missing here? Why can I not stick to anything? And when I do, why does it not work? And... Sometimes people just, they will blame you. They'll say, oh, well, Danny, you just weren't doing it right. You, you must be eating secretly. You must be lying about how much work you're doing, workout you're doing. You Clearly, if you were doing it, you would be losing weight. Those are the people that say that it really does just come down to calories in, calories out. But they forget that your body shuts down the calories outside of the equation when, when you have, you know, ruined your metabolism because you're trying to follow this terrible advice. Yep. They gave you bad advice. You follow it as hard as you can. It ruins your metabolism. And then they blame you because their advice is no longer working. And they have no new advice. (laughs) I know. And, 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 you know, and I think that, you know, and whenever I was heavier or continued to gain weight or feeling like a failure, it exacerbates my depression, my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So all those mental health issues just come back, roaring back. Yeah. Just feeling horrible about myself. But around... 2012-ish, I did started to notice some other health issues, mainly like just utter exhaustion. Like if you remember like when that that first month or two that you're pregnant, yeah. the exhaustion that you have, yes. that was me 24-7. Were you was, probably not absorbing nutrients well or something? Who knows? Okay. At the time, I mean, now I kind of know, but <laughs> yeah. at the time didn't know. Okay. Um, also had brain fog, you know, weight gain. Um, I was cold all the time. I had pain. And then the key thing, which I didn't connect which we'll talk about later, was when I, whenever I would stand up, I would almost pass out. Oh. Yeah. So, but kind of the big things like the exhaustion and the inability to lose weight, I'm like, well, that's hypothyroidism, is it not? So I went doctor shopping for endocrinologists and I went to like three of them, all of whom you talk about placing the blame. I, I went there with my food diary and my exercise diary and I said, look, this is what's going on. I haven't been able to lose weight. I'm exhausted. I have all of these symptoms that are hypothyroidism. They look at my blood work and they're like, well, you're fine. Yeah, you're totally fine. Yeah. And, and 
And they would actually say to me, you really just need to cut down the amount of calories you're eating per day. And I was like, I just showed you mm-hmm. my food diary and you, you're saying I'm lying to you? Yep. Yep. And, they, yeah. And then you just pat they me on the head and said, they me on can't the understand it differently because they've been told that if you are hypothyroid, your numbers will be in this range right here. And if your numbers are not in that range right there, you're not. And if you're not losing weight, it's because you're not eat- you're eating more food than you say you are. Yeah, that they don't understand because they can't open their mind beyond that paradigm. I get it. It's what the way they were trained, and it's really really hard to step away from what you've been taught and what you believed. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you have to hang on to it because yeah. that's your whole business. That's, that's what you got. You know, you yep. paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for your medical degree. So. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but I did find an endocrinologist finally who was like, well, yeah, your blood work doesn't say it. But yeah, you're right. You do have the symptoms. So let's just put you on thyroid meds and yeah. see what happens. So it's like, you could do that? He's like, yeah, if it doesn't work, we'll take you off with it. Well, before the blood test, that's how they did it. You know, they treated symptoms. They, they, they would check your temperature. If your temperature was running low all the time, that's a symptom of hypothyroidism. And they would, they would basically treat you. They would give, they would up your dose of thyroid hormone until you felt better. And then they would stop. That was your dose. Mm -hmm. When you felt better, that's how much you needed. And it wasn't based on blood work. But once they got the blood work, they're like, oh, we'll just do for the blood work. And you know, you could have plenty of thyroid hormone and not be using it properly. And so right. that's, that's where the issue. blood work does not tell you that anyway. So so yeah. did you, so, you got the medicine? Did that make a difference? Not really. <laughs> but again, I was in this very self-blaming thing. I'm like, right. well, I guess I'm, you know, I'm because I'm exhausted. I must just be a lazy person or I must, you know, I'm clearly not doing something right. Right. Because I hear I have the best medical care and this guy believes me and this is not working. So I didn't know. So then I decided to go do more Googling, Dr. Googling. And I was like, oh, maybe it's fibromyalgia. So I saw a rheumatologist and I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but still that didn't explain everything. And then we're hitting, finally, I read delay, don't deny. It's spring of 2019. And I, I start doing IF for about a, the first year I did it at 16.8. Okay. I was losing very, very slowly. I mean, I've I've heard about some turtles. I, I was a snail. Okay. <laughs> You're walking there behind the turtles. They're, oh, they're yeah. lapping you. I'm <laughs> crawling. Right. Crawling behind the turtle. But it was slowly happening. But it was actually happening, which, oh my God, finally I'm losing weight. I was so excited. So because of my scale aversion, I assume I started at about 225-ish. Okay. And I lost... The first year, I lost about 30 pounds. Okay. That's not that. Not super slow. 30 in a year. That's, you know, ideally, if we didn't have all the the baggage that we dragged in with us, but we all all have all that (laughs) metabolic baggage, but, uh, you know, ideally a pound a week. Yeah, would be. So 30 is not not 52, but it's, it's not terrible. That's a good substantial for a year. As long as I saw very consistently it moving down, I was totally fine. So after about a year, I tightened it up and I would do at least 18.6. Okay. And that was my my thing. And sometimes I would do more because when I get busy and and I did notice that even though I was still there was still an exhaustion element, when I was in a fasted state, I was more alert, I was more energized. But after I ate, it's kind of like, ugh, my day's all over. Right. 
And that's actually when the other symptoms started to get exacerbated, particularly the feeling faint when I stood up and after like you that. ate. After I ate. Okay. I remember I went into when you still had the Facebook group. Right. I, I went in, I was like, hey, just wondering, is this have anything to do with fasting? Like after you break your fast, like you start to feel like you're gonna pass out when you stand up. And everyone's like, No, you should probably get that checked out. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, there, there's like you can feel lightheaded after eating. It has to do with your blood sugar, what your blood sugar is doing. So, you know, is it because you're fasting? No, but it's because it's happening during the eating time. But, you know, you are you feel it because while you were fasting, your blood sugar was staying pretty steady. And then you ate and then you were back on that blood sugar roller coaster. So, Well, there was that and something else. So. Okay. Oh, now I'm like, I feel like I'm yeah. like. Put, put on your Sherlock Holmes dun, dun, hat and we're going to be the detectives okay. together. <laughs> okay. Lyme disease. Is it Lyme disease? Okay. Sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. So um, <laughs> I was frustrated that I, you know, because I kind of was plateauing quite a bit after the right. first year. So I tightened up the window to 18.6 at least. Sometimes I would even do 20 or 22, depending on my day. Sometimes I did ADF, yep. you know, and over the next two years, I probably lost another 30. Okay. With lots of plateaus in between. So I tried, I was, I'm going to tweak it till it's easy, like there Jen you says. Go. Yeah. So I tried to cut out sugar, processed carbs, you know, nothing really seemed to move the scale. You just were not budging. You were right there and you were stuck at around what weight? At that point, I was stuck at about 160. Okay. For a very long, maybe 170, 160 at some okay. point. Okay. And of course, you know, lots of self blame because I've yeah. tried everything. And so I must be doing something wrong. So finally, in about 2022, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out what are these symptoms, like what's mm -hmm. going on. And I did some research about people who have had gastric bypasses, and about 1% to 2% of them can develop something called reactive hypoglycemia. Yeah. So I talked to my endocrinologist about that, and I said, it certainly would explain my exhaustion. So he set me up with a CGM. Sure enough, even during my fast my fasting glucose would usually be somewhere between 68 and 70. Okay. So it was very low. Yeah, that's mine. Mine is around there too, though, by the way, when I get into the fastest state, mine is right around there. Okay. That's, yeah. I just thought maybe I was just like, maybe it, producing little bits of insulin or something. I don't yeah, know. That's that when I, after I flip that metabolic switch every day, I'm in, I'm in the very low seventies. Oh, okay. Cruising along. So I but, love CGMs. That, the fact that we oh, my know. God. They're so great. So, yep. yeah, because of my own health issues, I just get to have them all the time. So. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, when I would start eating, it would spike up sometimes. Like, so I, I read the Glucose Goddess book, yep. you know, Glucose yep. Revolution. Yep. And I noticed that on her sample of the way you, after you eat, how it, like, what the graph looks like, yes. it's like a little like a little hill, like yeah. a little mesa, and then it goes gently slopes back like down. Like the little children's roller coaster at the theme park is what yes. you want. The ladybug roller coaster. Mine was spike right Mount up. Mount Everest roller coaster. Oh, my God. And sometimes it would get as high as 250 or 300, mm -hmm. and then it would immediately crash. Well, back and down. that that can be explained, you know, we have Wendy in our in our community and I interviewed her not that long ago in intermittent fasting stories and you know, she has the same thing. She has to be very careful with how she opens her window. Same exact thing. She has she's post gastric bypass, but it has to do with the way 
the food goes in and it bypasses what would normally be happening in, a, in the stomach. And it's like dumped into your small intestines, right? And then it's mm-hmm. absorbed so quickly. So you absorb it more quickly hmm. than, than someone who hasn't had gastric bypass. That, oh, that's that's, that's what I think I understand about it. But that's why you can have that reactive hypoglycemia. She has to be super careful with how she opens her window for that very reason. Yeah. So I, I've tried all the glucose goddess tricks, mm-hmm. you know, starting with leafy greens and then yeah. layering, you know, and it just, it never seemed to have any, like I would have the same kinds of reading for eating rice if I had like spinach, you know, like it just would like spike and crash, spike right. and crash. But at least now that I had the CGM, I could watch it as it's just about to go below. And then I have glucose tablets that I could yeah. take to kind of well, get it. I'm pretty proud that I knew already when you were talking about in the Facebook group that, it, that you, I was like, that's blood sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. But yeah, she um, the way she manages it is she is not low carb by any means, but she opens her window low carb most days. Mm-hmm. So by open, I mean she she does a lot of the glucose goddess hacks, but she'll open her window low carb, like with an omelet or something, and then let that get in her system. And then later, she, like she has her carbs later in the window. Like she might have dessert, but she's not having them at the beginning. That keeps it from doing that that dumping or whatever it is. The, okay, yeah. I'll give it a shot. I mean, I'm something also to think about. I'm also on something called a carbos, okay, uh, which they. That? It's it's a medication that they give to most people with uh, diabetes, and I think it, it helps you not process the carbs yeah. as much. That's what it sounds like. A carb, a carb, a is like don't like <laughs> carb. Yep, no yeah. carbs is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. But what was weird too, it was wasn't even just during my eating window, but sometimes during like in the middle of the night, I would look at my CGM the next morning and I would have been crashing the whole night and I, you know, not eating for hours. So it's like, maybe there's something else too. Mm -hmm. And I'm still feeling all these other symptoms. So I finally went to a functional medicine doctor. Yay. Functional medicine doctor. I love them. Yes. Which I actually, the first time heard about on either you're in Melanie's podcast or just your podcast here. I'm not sure. But I went to somebody and I just had like a giant list that I unfurled and said, (laughs) here are all my seemingly unrelated symptoms. Help me. And so we did blood work to rule out some autoimmune disease. I had some brain MRIs because she thought maybe it sounded neurological, just all of the stuff. And I finally went to a neurologist who said, oh, you have POTS. Positional something. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's okay. a form of something called dysautonomia, okay. which means my autonomic nervous system is weird. <laughs> it doesn't function properly. So it explains the I'm cold all the time because temperature regulation. People with POTS, that's the typically where when you stand up, your blood has pooled in your lower extremities. And most people, their veins constrict and their heart pumps and they're able to bring it up to their brains to bring oxygen to your brain. But people with POTS, it stays pooled down there. And so your heart is trying really, really hard and it's pumping, pumping super, super fast, trying to get everything up. But you feel like, or sometimes people do pass out. You're lightheaded because you don't have the oxygen in your brain. Mm-hmm. And your heart is pounding because your heart is sensing that the oxygen is not getting there and it's trying to compensate, right? Uh-huh. So I was able to get on a medication called mitodrine, 
which is like, it's called a vasoconstrictor. Yeah. So it constricts my veins. I take it three times a day so that it just helps me keep the blood pumping up there. Okay. So that I, I don't have the... It like ups your blood pots. pressure. You need it to be higher. Really? Yeah. Is that and, what's happening? Well, most people with POTS tend to have pretty high heart rates and pretty high blood it's pressure. It's work really hard. Yeah. Mine's always been very low. Like my resting heart rate is 45. That is low. And I guarantee you, I am not some Olympic athlete <laughs> or, you know, who would normally have like a, a, a pulse that low. Right. It, no, that's just weird. And, and so dysautonomia, which POTS is a form of dysautonomia, there are different kinds. It's basically your autonomic nervous system, which is the stuff that your autonomic nervous system is all of the things that you don't consciously think about. Right. Your heart rate, temperature regulation, yep. digestion, gastric, whatever. Everything that's happening that we don't have to consciously control. Right. Your breathing, yep. all, all that stuff. Blinking. Blinking. Yes. All that weird stuff. Um, even like focus of the eyes. Like I can't get a, a really good eye prescription because my eye prescription changes. Oh, because your a eyes lot of the change time. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's so- yeah. I have a very mild form. Like I've been on the Facebook groups for POTS and dysautonomia and some people are like truly disabled. Yeah. I can imagine like it probably is hard to sit up. Mm-hmm. Some people have been just lying down for yeah. years. Yeah, they that's- cannot get up. So I'm pretty lucky that Yeah. Anyway. So one thing I did realize though, is that I have something called hypoglycemia unawareness. Okay. And this explains partly some of the exhaustion Yeah. because I I would uh, look at my blood sugar and it would be like 50. Yeah. Which for most people, they'd be that shaking. That is very low, very low. Very yeah. low. I've and never seen a 50 on mine. <laughs> and sometimes it would be so low that it would just say low because oh, wow. it was unreadable. Wow. Yeah, I think the lowest it'll read is like 40. Wow. So, yeah. but I'm like functioning like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm tired, but like, okay. I don't feel like things are, but because you're, my body is so used to being in that hypoglycemic state, it's literally unaware. It's called hypoglycemia unawareness. Anyway, so I figured that was part of the exhaustion factor. It sounds like it would be, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then some of it's just part of dysautonomia in general. You're just tired and brain foggy and, and all well, of that. Well, my Lyme diagnosis was wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you I was know like, what? what causes a cluster of symptoms? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, mean, there, there are kind of like these interlacing different diagnoses, you know, like, so people with, with dysautonomia often have something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and MCAS and like all of these other kinds of things. Lupus is very common, which is an autoimmune. So these kind of like, I think diagnoses is kind of like, well, you most fit into this category. Right. But another thing I learned on the POTS groups and stuff was that reactive hypoglycemia is another symptom of POTS as well. So, so you all have this- a double whammy version of it. You've got it I from the gastric so. bypass because it causes you know quicker emptying into your small intestines. Plus, you've got this other other issue with the POTS causing it. Yep. But anyway, there's not a whole lot that can be done with that. But at least it explains why it's so hard for me to let go of weight. 
Right. Because I'm my pancreas is constantly going, I'm just going to give you some insulin. Just, yeah. You don't need it, but I'm just going to give you a whole lot of and it. And it's bringing down your blood sugar all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it makes sense that, you know, I, I don't know what to do necessarily. I'm working on it. I'm, um, I've been to this field of study called a chiropractic neurologist, which okay. I hadn't heard of. And I had some procedures over the last six months. It's it's helped. It's improved. And I've also, you'd like this, Jen, I started on hormone replacement therapy two weeks ago. (laughs) So I think between the two of those things, it's not gone, the the hypoglycemia, but it seems much improved. Like my, my kind of fasted glucose now for the most part, is like in the 80s, yep. which is like so That's amazing awesome. for me. So much better. Here is the lesson that I want everyone to take away from this story. I mean, there's lots of lessons, but one of them is this. Fasting shouldn't make you feel terrible, 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 terrible. If you're feeling super lethargic and no energy and you feel like you're, something's wrong, something is wrong. Yeah. And, and you can trust your body and keep digging till you find it. And you'll go down lots of rabbit holes, like you went down the rabbit hole of thyroid. You went down the rabbit hole, you know, different things. And But you have to explore all those things to find somebody who can finally put those pieces together. But a functional medicine doctor is really going to be a, a good place to start because the, the whole role of functional medicine, unlike traditional Doctors are trained, you know, here's your blood work. Here is a prescription. We're going to get your levels to this range. That's what they're looking at. Whereas a functional medicine doctor goes more towards the root cause, what is causing you to have these feelings, and let's figure out what it is instead of just, you know, they are tre- they're treating you holistically. Right. And looking at all of it instead of just blood work. And, of course, blood work is still part of it. You know, obviously, when you got hormone replacement therapy, they did blood work. Yes. Looked at your levels, but... Anyway, that I'm glad I'm glad that you're finding answers and feeling better. But for anyone who isn't, you should not be tired all the time. No. <laughs> There's a reason behind it. And yeah. actually like you always ask about NSVs. Yeah. And for me that's that's a huge one because when I Fasting helps me be a better detective about what's going on with my body because I spend a majority of my day in a fasted state. I can start to eliminate possibilities of what's wrong. Right. And, and it just, it's like a clean slate to kind of really get a sense of what is going on in my body. Well, because you realize that you felt worse after you ate. Mm-hmm. And so that, that indicate, okay, it's something about the eating, something about that. And so the fasting helped you pinpoint that. Whereas before you were doing that all day long and you didn't notice what it was. It was just how you lived the day. Yep. And that reactive, you were living on that Himalaya roller coaster. Oh, all gosh. the time. Yeah. It's a bad feeling. So there there could be lots of things, everybody. So lots of reasons that you might feel tired. It could be iron deficient. I mean, I don't know, a million things. Could be Lyme disease. Lyme disease. <laughs> it, could, it could be that. It could be fibromyalgia. I mean, it could be a lot of things. And it's it's just trusting that you're not crazy. You're not supposed to feel bad. And our bodies are so wise and they we're supposed to feel good. Being healthy and feeling good is our natural state. And if you're not, it's not because you're weak. It's because there is something in your body that you haven't found yet. Finding it is the hard part. I wish I could tell people exactly what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a functional medicine doctor, but you know, even functional medicine doctors have to dig. They don't just oh, look yeah. at you and like, there's your answer. No, they have to do a lot of work and they're detectives. 
Yeah, it was it was a process of like, you know, six months of going to different specialists and having different tests and yeah, eliminating things one by one by one. So if you ask me, I, and I can't tell you, it's because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can. They, they have to do all that work and dig it and, and find it. So it took a long time. It did. It took a long time. And even though there's really no good, I mean, there's no cure for POTS, right. there are some ways of managing the symptoms for the most part. But I mean, some of the people that have more severe cases, like I have a cousin, because it does run in families too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a cousin who has dysautonomia and Ehlers-Danlos and MCAS and like just a whole range of stuff. And like she had to have a pacemaker wow. put in because her heart, her resting heart rate was like in the 30s. Wow. Yeah. So there, there are things they can do to try to manage some of this stuff. But like the stuff, like I'll probably never be able to get to the point where my blood sugar doesn't crash in the middle of the night for kind of no reason. I, I'm Who knows? I might never be able to do it. I kind of g- goes in waves and it doesn't seem to really relate to what I eat okay. or my activity level. It's just kind of Your like- Your body's doing that weird thing. Yeah. It's the autonomic nervous yep. system that is just it's not regulating. Haywire. It doesn't regulate. Your body is not good at regulating stuff. That basically, yeah. that's, that's what's happening. Yeah. So- yeah. So it's just, it's frustrating though, because even though I'm, God, I would have killed to be at 160, however many years ago, my whole life. Right. 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 And here I am going, ah, oh, I'm only, I'm 160. I yeah. want to lose like 20 more pounds, yeah. you know, and it's not coming off. And it's been like three years now that I've been struggling with this. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm trying very hard to do some emotional acceptance, acceptance yeah. of where I am and that my health is more important than my body image. Yeah. You know, and is is 160 technically in the overweight category BMI? I mean, I know BMI is not perfect, so yeah, I, I know I think that. I just I think when I got to 160, I kind of did a jig because oh, I'm not but, overweight anymore. Right. You're like at the very top of the healthy weight range, yeah. But yeah. I know we want to feel we want to feel good and we want to fit into society's. This is what your body size should be, and we want to. I know, I get it. We want to wear the clothes. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to go like out in a bikini or anything. Right. That's fine. I am fine with that. And it is nice going shopping off the rack, you right. know. No more plus size. Mm-mm. And I'm not even getting the the biggest size in the normal section anymore, you know. I'm at like a 10-12, which is unbelievable. So, yeah. So that that's great, but you know, there's that still perfectionistic part know, of me yeah. that's like, yeah, you what's something wrong with you? You should be here. You should be here. Why can't you do it? So, and maybe all that stress and anxiety about it is holding on to some of the weight. I don't know. It could be, but you know, I I think of it like, let's think about athletic performance for a minute. You know, I am not very athletic. And if we all had to hold ourselves to the standard of Olympic athletes, like you're only good enough if you can run as fast as I don't even know name somebody who's an Olympic athlete. I can't, but uh, Hussein Bolt is he, a, is he a fast? He's a fast. Oh yeah, guy, yeah, right? he's yeah. the guy from Jamaica. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know where that came out of my head, but because Bolt sounds like running fast, I guess. But, <laughs> all right, you're only a good enough runner if you can run as fast as Hussein Bolt. Well, I'm just a big loser because I will never run that fast. And but guess what? I also never could. Never could. I don't care how hard I tried or how much I trained or how fast I. My body will never run that fast and couldn't. There's, I mean, you know, we're, we're brought up. You could do anything you want. La, you can't. I can't. I can't run as fast as Usain Bolt, no matter how much I will myself to do it. 
And so when we think about weight like that, you know, our bodies are going to do what they do based on factors that are going on beyond our control. We cannot control what the cells are doing in there and we just have to have to work with the bodies we've got. And that is the part that's frustrating. If I decided I had to be a really fast Olympic runner, I would just live my life in misery. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I basically give that same kind of counsel to my clients, you know, right, come in it's with harder to feel it. it's hard to do it with yourself. <laughs> well, especially this, this, the, yeah. the body image thing for me has been something that's gone on. I'm all be turning 50 in a few months. And this has been going on since I was 10 years old. Right. So Those wires are very deep in that brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those trenches so- are dug. Yeah, so I'm, you know, and I also kind of believe that the universe sends you things that, like, if you keep banging your head about the same issue, it's the universe trying to teach you a lesson. Yeah, about it. So I've banged my head up against a wall for for four decades now. So maybe it's just time to learn that lesson and let that go. Yeah, and yeah. just accept myself and. Everyone else accepts me. What, I mean, you know, that, I love that you said that. I've interviewed um, John McDonald a few weeks ago, and he had been on the podcast before. And he talked about a book, The Sedona Method. And I've been reading it ever since. And it's it's such a good book. But the premise of that book is letting things go. Yeah. I mean, that that is what the book teaches you. It teaches you how to let things go and like releasing expectations that you have so John recommended it, John McDonald, a few few episodes ago, and I'm now reading it. But it's like, you ask yourself, could I let it go? Would I let it go? When? And it's just finding freedom through letting go of all those things. And it sounds a lot like the acceptance and commitment therapy, okay. and it's which is just like basically radical acceptance. It's like, this is just the way it is. I'm going to accept it. And once you kind of accept it, Everything else just falls into place because, like, yeah. all right, I'm not going to do anything. I just well, I'm not have not That's heard the way that therapy, but it does sound like that. 
Yeah. 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 But it's, it's, it can be transformational because you're, you're fighting against something, fighting against it. And it could be anything. We're talking about weight here, but mm-hmm. it could be anything. It could be a relationship. It could be how much money is in your bank account. You know, the harder you fight against it, the worse it feels. Yeah. Because and it, you have to decide, like, what is my locus of control? Mm-hmm. What do I have control over? And the sad or relieving reality of it all is you only have control over yourself. Yeah. And so, not even everything that is happening inside your body. That's, that's true. That's true. Like, we think we have control over what our weight does, but our body's controlling that. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, your my body decided it wants to have cellulite on my thighs. <laughs> Wish I could talk it out of that, but... <laughs> Yeah. So like, just accept what you mm-hmm. have no control over and do the best you can with what you can control. I, I easier said than done. <laughs> so much easier said than done. I totally get it. I, uh. I get it completely. And it would be a lot easier. Like it'd be an easier conversation to have with yourself if you were stuck there between a four and a six instead of a 10 and a 12. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. The universe is telling me just accept yourself and get over it and move on. <laughs> well, tell me some more of your non-scale victories. What What are some others? Definitely, like I said, just a better relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I don't use it to self-soothe anymore. I mean, I still have joy in food. Right. And I'm definitely like experiencing the, um, you know, apostasy. What does they call that? Appetite, appetite correction. Appetite correction. Yeah. Because, you know, before I'd always be like, ah, donuts or cake or cookies or whatever. And now I'm like, ooh, roasted Brussels sprouts. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And that was very much not me before. And I definitely, I think I do a little little too much on the sugar. I think there's like an addictive element to the sugar. Well, I think I think a lot of brains really do light up with sugar differently. Not every brain is the same way. Just like, yeah. you know, some people are attracted to alcohol differently. I think sugar is the same way. Some brains light up differently from it than others. Yeah. But I get through a, a whole day and without eating and I manage my feelings. I'm more present and I'm more able to regulate my emotions and and not go to these unhealthy coping mechanisms, right? right? And you know, of course, going for a walk or calling for a friend, it it doesn't do the same thing as having a donut, right? <laughs> but it, it, in the moment, right. but talk to me twenty minutes later, mm-hmm. I'm much happier that I did the healthier coping mechanism and I got over the initial whatever I was feeling that I didn't want to feel because that's that's what it is is it's it was me distracting myself or suppressing emotions dissociating from those emotions that felt uncomfortable and uh, I mean nobody likes to feel uncomfortable right. emotions that's that's why people drink alcohol or do drugs or or eat donuts or shop so, too much and they are hoarders mhm <laughs> There's definitely an element of that, too. Because I've watched those shows and, like, uh, the people who, like, have the shopping problem and they go out and buy things they don't need. I'm like, stop buying those things. But they're still doing it. By the end of the show, they're still buying stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you you hit on um, something about hoarding disorder, which, like, I I kind of, if I have to sum up what it is, it's avoidance. And it's avoidance of uncomfortable emotions. Because when I'm sitting there with my stuff or my animals that I'm hoarding or whatever it is... My animals don't 
talk down to me. My animals aren't critical of me. It's unconditional love or it's, you know, expected. There's no surprises. There's safety with all those things around you, you know? Yep. And the same thing with, with donuts or with alcohol or whatever, all of these things that we use to kind of self-soothe, you know, it's all about avoidance. And the more you avoid having those feelings, the scarier it seems to have the feelings. It's like yeah. this negative feedback loop that's going on. So you just continue to avoid because it just seems even scarier to have the emotions. But once you start having them, you realize, oh, this really isn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That really is true. So anybody who's struggling with emotional eating, and I know I know, listeners do, you know, people in the community talk about that all the time. And you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person having this struggle. And fasting isn't going to magically just fix it day one. You're going to have to, it, it actually may make you feel the emotions more. Oh, yeah. Because you're gonna you have haven't to work felt them that. in so long. Yeah. It's going to be very raw. It's going to be you're harder. Gonna, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think definitely the first few months that I was fasting, I was hanging on by my fingernails until I like, oh my God, I just got to make it till noon. I got to yeah. make it till noon. <laughs> And you could do it. You made it till noon. And yep. I did. So what does your typical day look like now? I'm definitely an evening eater. Um, so I try I try to do at least 18-6. Most days, especially if I'm working you know, with clients and stuff, I'll try to open maybe like around 4 p.m. And then I try to close by 8 o'clock. Although I am kind of moving to what you were talking about in, in other stories podcasts of really tracking your eating window rather yeah. than your fasting window, because that just seems to make more sense. And it it's seems so more flexible to me. It, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when you're trying to think about how long you fasted, you have to like count back to yesterday and think about all the time. And, you know, if, if, if I fast for, I don't know, let's say 19 hours, then eat for 10 hours, that's too much eating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, I need the boundary of the eating window. Mm-hmm. I would be better served personally to fast for 15 hours and eat for five then fast for 24 hours and eat for 10. I mean, not that I'm going to do that. The, the mat, I'd be eating like all night long or something, but you, you get my point. To me, the boundary of the eating window made such a difference. And it helped to delay because if I delay, then my eating window can't possibly, like if I don't open my eating window, let's say till five, it's impossible for me to have longer than five hours because I'm usually in bed by 9.30, right? So mm-hmm. going to bed closes the window very, very easily for me. Not that I'm eating up until bedtime because I'm not. I usually am done eating uh, a couple hours before I go to bed. But having the boundary of the eating window is just so much easier for me. Yeah, it makes it makes more sense and it, it feels more flexible because, you know, Mother's Day is coming up. This weekend, I think, you know, so I'll probably go to brunch. So I'll I'll open. I'm not going to not go to Mother's Day Yeah, you're like, sorry, I have to wait two more hours. No. If you're not worrying about, if if you keep, you know, there's 24 hours in every day. And, you know, we we think, we get confused because we fast overnight and it's a different calendar day. But I'd like, if, if someone just considered the 24 hours within a calendar day even, you know, and that 24 hours of the calendar day slide your eating window somewhere within it. Mm-hmm. The leftover parts where you were fasting, okay, some's on one side of your eating window, some is on the other. You know, some of your fasting in that calendar day was before you ate, some of the fasting was after you ate when you went to bed. It's still going to add up to 24 because it's mm-hmm. 24 hours in the calendar day. So just think of sliding that window within a calendar day from midnight to midnight. Mm, I like that. And I like that approach. Instead of thinking about like overnight, now you're sleeping and 
You know, because uh, every fast, because we're sleeping, the fast spans two calendar days. And that's why it gets, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started, I was using the Life app and I was, yep. you know, being a real perfectionist about it. And like, and I'd see it and like, okay, it's 16 hours and end the fast and doing that. And then probably over a year ago, I just was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll be fine. <laughs> Well, this is where I'll I needed to be in a classroom with the, with the like a, with a whiteboard. I could have drawn that diagram, and everybody would go, "Oh!" Because I know some people are listening. They're like, "I don't know what Jen just meant. What is she talking about?" But if I could draw it on a chalkboard or a whiteboard, you would get it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> some people maybe they got it because they're they're auditory learners and they understood it. So, is there anything that you struggle with? I think some of the hardest part for me is like. Another thing from the dysautonomia is that like I'll open my window and I'll be really excited to eat. Like, so I know how you like to do the prepared meals and I've gotten into a purple carrot because I'm oh, vegan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So not all, just the ones that are actually more like whole food plant-based as opposed right. to like the fake cheese and the fake yes. whatever. Yep. I, I don't feel good I did some eating purple that. carrot when I was doing my whole food plant-based 60-day experiment. Yeah, it's it's great. They have yep. some good stuff. So, you know, I'll I'll prepare this beautiful meal and I'm so excited and I eat like half of it. And I think part of it is I have a gastric bypass, so my stomach isn't as big. Yep. So I really have to I probably have to have a longer eating window. Like right. I, I don't think I'd ever be able to have like a one or a two oh, hour no. eating you window. You need to you can't fit it all in. That yeah, there, there's no no reason to try to fit it all into an hour because you couldn't. Your body needs yeah. needs longer to get that food in. Yeah. You know, Green Chef has some good vegan meals. Have you tried them? No. Yes. I'll have to give it a shot. They shot. actually have a good number of vegan meals and I often order them and then I'll like add butter. Don't tell them. All right. <laughs> They're not like requiring that I eat them vegan style, but I'll add like like one of them I had this week. It was a had some vegan mayonnaise in it, and I just threw that little container of mayonnaise away and used my own Duke's mayonnaise, which is not clean at all. But I'm cleanish, <laughs> so that is okay. But I'm sure their vegan mayonnaise also was not pristine food, but um, they're really good choices. So give oh that's good. I'll look try. into it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I'll, I'll do that, and then I think also it's my like appetite like just turns off even though i maybe am not full yeah. or have eaten enough i think it, that's a dysautonomia thing where you're app you're just like i don't oh. want to eat anymore yeah your hormones your appetite hormones are not functioning they're not right regulating either. correctly everything's just crazy everything's a little, little bit crazy wow <laughs> that's yeah. got to be hard so that's a challenge is and then and then when i get hungry again or i'm ready to eat again and i don't really have an appetite trying to make something like that's when i'll make some Choices that aren't as good, like, well, yeah. I'll reach for the, you know, like M&Ms or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And instead of like preparing another healthy type yep, small meal. Well, so. we are almost out of time. Mm -hmm. In one minute or less, what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? I would say this is it. Yeah. Look no further. This is the answer. This is that magic pill that we've all sought our whole dieting lives. If it's not working or it's not working as well as you'd like, it's a sign that something else needs to be looked at and addressed. A hundred percent. But this is it. You found it. <laughs> yep. I love that. So this is it. You may need to dig some more too in addition to this, but this is definitely part of your journey. Yep. I Check. Got this solved. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Danny. It has been great to talk to you today. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Jen. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. 
That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.